I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello there. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. My name is Shanti. I am Lynx, and we are Muses. The podcast that celebrates the women of rock and roll. That's right. Today, we have an interview with Lydia Chris. Who was married to Peter Chris of Kiss for many years. Yes, but uh, before that, we just wanted to tell you about some uh, exciting things happening over here. That's right. As you may or may not know, we are a part of Pantheon Podcasts. Yeah, and our network just keeps growing and growing and growing. And what have you been listening to lately? I've been listening to Rock Candy. Also a duo, two friends who talk about music, and they have a whole bunch of really awesome spooky Halloween episodes because um, it's the month of October, and so they're drinking seasonal beers, and they're having these great conversations about music. And you can check out their latest episode, which is episode 88, King Diamond, Quarter Pounder with Bass. Amazing. I was listening to Mixtape Memories on my way over here, just finishing up their season finale episode. They talked all about women and rock and roll in the 90s. So obviously it was meant for me and I was totally in love with it. So make sure you guys check that out as well. Everywhere. Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on... Everywhere. It's on the internet. So yes. check out Pantheon Podcasts. And we got some great Patreon episodes up for you. You can go over, sign up with us. Plenty of back episodes that you can get caught up on, and we got some new ones coming out. We just did one about Bob Dylan. Yeah, $5 a month gives you some video access. It gives you extra bonus. So if you want a little bit more muses in your life and you want to support us financially, you know, spiritually, emotionally, we would really appreciate that. Absolutely. So yeah, we just talked to Lydia Chris. She is the author of the book Sealed with a Kiss. She met Peter Criscola at a show in Williamsburg and things were really never the same for either of them as he would later become Peter Chris of Kiss. Say that five times fast. Peter created the Catman character, um, but you really could say that the look was inspired by Lydia and Peter's pet cat that they shared together and she tells us that story in this episode. So cute. 
Peter's musical success did not happen overnight, and Lydia was there to witness and support it all. She also played a big part in the band's success simply by supporting him financially for many years. Oh, yeah. Emotionally. She did a lot. Lydia's memoir is also like a wonderful scrapbook documenting home photos of their life, relationship, as well as the band's evolving look. Yeah. We discussed with her the creation of the song Beth, what it was like to witness Kiss become one of the biggest band in the world, traveling all around the world, rubbing shoulders with celebrities. You know, this is just really a story of young love and whirlwind romance, excess, rock and roll, and a woman finding her place when it's all gone. That's right. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation with Lydia today. It was super fun. We learned a lot. And you can head over to LydiaChris.com if you want to order her book. You can get uh, an e-copy or you can pay for that shipping. It's a beautiful book. It's a must-have. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, enjoy the show. Enjoy. I ain't no good at talking. So girl, I'm telling you straight My heart feels just like an orphan I hope I'm not too late Cause you matter to me And that's why That's why You still matter to me And that's the only reason I need To get by You still matter to me Lydia, it's amazing to be speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited about talking about your amazing book, Sealed with a Kiss, and getting to know you a little bit better. Uh Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, can you tell us about, you know, life growing up where, how was your family? uh, Did your community or family influence your musical tastes? You talk about your mother being pretty supportive of your journey What kind of woman was she? No, my mother was not very supportive of my journey at the beginning. She eventually got to be supportive. But at the beginning, um, you know, she wanted me to get married. She thought I waited too long. I mean, I was 22 when I got married. She thought that was an old maid. But uh, she, um, I guess she didn't really go, go along with the long hair. She didn't like that. Uh, that was a thing in, in the, <laughs> the 60s, and um, that's when I met Peter in 66. And it took them a while, but once they got to know Peter, they really liked him. And, and then they were all for it, and she was very supportive. I mean, she would she would have the neighbors, uh, you know, at the window, you know, asking, you know, questions and, <laughs> and you know, get, carrying on with them, like, all day long. She would have them actually waiting when we would arrive. You know, she'd she'd tell them when we were coming. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I guess just from, um, you know, reading about how she would eventually help you with outfits and things like that. I guess yeah, there was an overall sense of support there. But yeah, I suppose being a teen in the '60s, that would mean that she was a product of you know '40s and '50s culture. So I guess that was pretty progressive of her to eventually come around to that. Yeah, yeah, she uh, she used to, uh, that's one thing she did like. She was a seamstress, so she did like to make clothes. And um, especially uh, when she'd see, you know, photos of the clothing, she'd really be proud of herself. I mean, she made my, my wedding gown and all my bridesmaids' dresses and hats and everything. Um, she was amazing. She was amazing. I mean, she, she, she went to school for millinery. And uh, she wound up uh, working in a sweat factory years ago, you know, in the garment district. And she learned how to uh, how to sew everything, everything. She made drapes, bedspreads, uh, slip covers, everything. Wow. So uh, she was she was a really uh, talented woman. Yeah, that's right. I feel like that's a bit of a lost art in a sense I have no idea how to sew either by hand or even using a sewing machine but the school that I most recently worked at did have a home economics class so luckily yeah yeah I learned how to sew in home economics but mostly I learned from my mother 
Mm. You know, I mean, when I was uh, an, a young teenager, like maybe in 13, 14, I'd sit, you know, she had the sewing machine in the bedroom and I would sit in the bedroom and, you know, listen to m music on the radio in those days. And, uh, and she'd be, she'd be sewing and uh, I would help her sometimes if she needed some stitches uh, re removed, I would help her sit, I'd sit there and I'd, you know, un undo what she did and she wanted to redo it a little bit more in, you know, perfection. Hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it, she was a, a child of the thirties actually. Well, twenties, thirties, forties, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not to think about just our, the generations before us. It seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. It's only just a few no. generations. Yeah. Well, it, like you said, she kind of had these ideas for you, you know, marriage and whatnot, maybe a more traditional I idea of marriage, but your life ended up being anything but traditional. You got a really into photography, rock photography. Did you have any ideas that your, any intuition, any inkling that your life would take any kind of rock and roll turn? Did you always know there was something else waiting for you? Well, no, I actually thought I would just, you know, grow up, get married, have children and be a typical Italian mother. Um, but uh, but I did enjoy I did have a love of music when I was in school, when I was in um, what they call middle school now, but it was called junior high school then. Uh, you know, I was like early, early teens and I did love music, and my mother and my uncle, my mother was always with a camera. She always had a camera. You know, it wasn't a great camera. It was a little tiny brownie, and she, she'd always take pictures. And, you know, most of them in the, in, in the early days were black and white. And, um, and my uncle was a professional photographer. I mean, he was, um, he had actually made his own camera. And he was in a photo book and everything. And um, so I always liked photos and I always thought it was a great way of having your memory refreshed all the time you see a photo um and I just always loved it so I uh, I always had a camera around when I was with Kiss I didn't have a good one I had a little Instamatic Kodak you know and it was it was given to me on my 16th birthday by my best friend Brenda and um and and I used it up until you know, we had no money in those days. So I used it up until we went to Japan and I finally bought a Nikon. And that's when I really started taking pictures, real pictures. That's amazing. There's so many other muses as well. I can think of like Patty Boyd, who um, ended up picking up a camera and, you know, getting so many intimate shots because you're well, the Linda one. McCartney, Linda McCartney. Exactly. Yeah, you're the girls that are back there. You're the women who get to, you know, witness all of this. And uh, yeah, I, it, it's so fantastic that you were all there and were smart enough to think, hey, like, let's let me contribute. Let me, you know, use my art as well to, you know, capture history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never thought I would write a book, but that's, you know proves you know something sometimes you don't always know what's what's in your future and I certainly didn't know that there was going to be such fame with yeah. with Kiss I mean Peter was you know he said I'm going to be famous but he never he himself never thought he'd be that famous he says all I wanted was a hit single you know a hit song that's all he wanted he didn't know he would be you know known worldwide and uh and for so for such a long time yeah yeah they're they'll be in the history books forever uh-huh yeah it was really interesting to read about the early days meeting peter chris when he was pete and you can correct me if i'm not pronouncing this correctly peter chris Kiola. you got it pretty close pretty peter chris Kiola. chris Kiola. chris Kiola. but wait but everybody said chris cola <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, can you speak a little bit about those early courtship days before either of you had any idea the machine that Kiss would become? 
Um, yeah, we we met. Uh, let's see. I was I was I had one of my other best friends, Karen. Um, she was going out with the bass player in Peter's band, and she always said to me, "Come on, you got to come down and see um, see this band. You might like the drummer." And coincidentally, I worked with a guy that actually before I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch. But I worked there when it was a sporting, mostly sporting goods. Not, I mean, they had clothing. They had two, you know, some clothing departments too. But it was, it was primarily a sporting goods store. And I, um, I worked in the guns department, which is very strange. But I was only 16. I had my first job. And um, when I was, um, wait, wait, let's see, we, we oh yeah, I, the, there was a guy that I worked with, and he even said. If you go to this, if you go see that band, which was the Barracudas, um, you might like the drummer. And I said, that's odd for him. to. He says, I used to work with him in a, um, uh, they used to make thermometers, you know, a, a, another, a different type of a, a regular job. He used to have a regular job, Peter, before I knew him. And uh, this uh, general, this guy that I worked with, worked with him at that place. So he knew him. And he said, "Yeah, you probably like Peter." And when I when I went I, I went to the beach that day, which was 103 degrees, and I should have never, you know, never stayed so long. I got burnt, and I got you know I came home and I felt a little, you know, feverish, and I didn't really really want to go out. And my girlfriend said, "Oh, you promised me. Come on, even if you just go for an hour." So I got dressed and I I went and. Um, I, I put on a white dress with my red face <laughs> from the beach and my dark hair. Um, you know, Peter said, as soon as I walked through the door, he fell in love with me. So uh, he said he saw me immediately. And uh, I mean, I didn't like him right right off the bat because <laughs> he had a little bit of a, I, you know, I love myself type of thing. And then, but then you, you know, then when you get to know him, his his personality, you it just it just sucks you in and you just, you know, love them. That's oh. what happened with my mother and father. They, they, they just absolutely adored him at one, you know, after they got to know him. Yeah. Long hair and all. Yeah. Long hair and all. Yeah. Because he had a, he had a way a gift the gab and everybody knows, you know, everybody that knows Peter knows what I'm talking about, that he is just a, a real sweetheart, you know, when he wants to be. <laughs> And yeah, Peter's career did not happen overnight. And you were there from the beginning. You were supporting him, supporting him financially. We talk a lot about the support system and, you know, the women who are there making these men, building them up, being there through that journey. What was that like for you? And what made you so dedicated to his dream of you know, being this big star as well? Well, because I loved him so much, I would, I would do anything for him. And, um, it didn't bother me, you know, going to work, uh, and, and supporting him. Um, I just wish he would have did a little bit more stuff during the week, but he did work weekends and he did, you know, it's, and in my book, it, it, I don't think it's in the, you know, the ebook, but it's in the regular, the real book, like a list of all of his um, uh, jobs that he ever had just playing music with these uh, cover bands. And, um, you know, he was, um, you know, he was very confident and he made me feel confident that he was going to make it. And, um, you know, I figured, you know, something's, Something's going to happen, whether he makes it big or whether he just uh, um, changes his his uh, profession. But I, I, it, it, he made it big before he could change his profession because we, you know, we basically I supported him. I think for about six years, two of them were, were married years, or maybe three were married years, but um, three were yeah, yeah, three were just dating, and three were married years, and um, you know, he just. Um, he only worked weekends and he didn't make a lot of money. So, uh, you know, uh, I had faith. So you were there pre-KISS. You were there while they were forming. 
what were your feelings on the other members of the group and what was it like seeing them become you know what they are well i had seen peter go from one band to another you know from you know from the day i met him but there was always somebody like he would he would be in the barracudas and then he would leave the barracudas but he would take someone from the barracudas and start a new band then he was in that band and then he would take some people from that band and start another band um See, I guess he, the, the, whoever he didn't like, Peter was always kind of the, the leader in, in the band. And then one day he just came home and he said to me, that's it. I'm not, you know, he was actually, he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay with anybody from any of the bands. I'm going to leave and I'm going to get my, you know, get into a different band. And that's when he got into Chelsea. Now, Chelsea was a good band. They made an album. They got, had a record deal. Uh, but for some reason, they just didn't make it. They didn't go anywhere. And that was a, a big disappointment because that's probably the furthest Peter ever got was to make an album and um, and a record company be behind you. Now, for some reason, I guess some of the members of that band started getting antsy and it wasn't nothing was happening. So they left. And then somebody else, you know, actually the lead guitar player left and he was replaced with by Stan Penridge, who co-wrote Beth. And that's when that's when it was a, it was Chelsea, but it was not really Chelsea. It was like, you know, a, a, whenever there's a replacement guy, it's never the same. And then Peter left that, but he took Stan Penridge with him and Mike Van Vanga, the bass player. And he formed the band called Lips. Now, Lips was right before Kiss, which is very odd. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and and then that's when Beth was written by Sam Penridge and uh, and Peter. You know, they they not not Mike. Mike wasn't involved. They used to go to Stan's house, uh, his apartment in Manhattan, and write. So uh, I saw. You know, I mean, going back, getting back to Kiss. Uh, when I saw them, I kind of knew there was something special there because they had the same attitude as Peter did. Like they, they weren't going to let Peter be the leader of the band. Mm -hmm. They were. Everybody in that band was a, at one point a leader in their own band. So Peter was kind of equal to yeah. all of them, and uh, I saw the determination. I could feel it in their, you know, their in their the way they would talk, the way they would act. Um, they had a record deal, so obviously they were on their way, uh, even though they gave it up, which I thought was very, you know, when they were Wicked Lester, I thought was very amazing for them to do that in order to restart another band. And then it just happened little by little, you know. I mean, they started the band and they came up with a name and um eventually uh eventually they they started doing a little bit of makeup like new york dolls mm -hmm. so, sort of thing it was like a, a new how manhattan i mean manhattan, new york used to have um you know a lot of these uh bands that had you know that were a little bit more theatrical than normal and um so then they started with that and then they looked too feminine and they were you know, Gene and Paul were big guys. And uh, so they said, no, we look, we look, we, you know, we don't look good. We have to change <laughs> the look. We have to change the look. So they changed it. And they, you know, Gene loved horror, horror shows and horror movies. And so did Peter. And um, they came up with the white face. And that's when they started. Um, you know, I saw it progress from one step to another you know and then they got a little better when they found ace and then when they found bill Coyne, when bill coin found them i should say um that's when they it all started because sean delaney was uh he was amazing with uh with his uh suggestions on you know what to wear how to act how to how to perform on stage you know like instead of being just, just instead of just standing there and playing music, at least you're a little bit more, you know, a little bit more motion. Mm 
mm-hmm. and you know, then they, they, when they got more money, you could see it. They started getting more professional. Yeah. I like how there were stories in your book that were really things that only someone like you could provide, you know, readers and and listeners. And one of the things, and I certainly didn't know that, is that Peter had gifted you with a cat and a kitten. And it was really nice to see through the photographs and through your writing how much that cat meant to your relationship. And sure enough, his character or persona in the band was a cat. Yeah, Peter loved animals. I love animals too, but I never had animals growing up. We had a dog once, but it didn't last very long. Basically, our animals were, uh, we used to get little chicks for Easter. Um, We had some fish and my father loved parakeets, but that was it. We didn't have something that, you know, that we'd have to walk or that we'd have to, uh, take care of more more or less because my mother had five children so she didn't want anything um more to to have to do you know and and she also had a a dog when she was first married and it died and she was heartbroken since then so when I got uh the, the kitten what happened was Chelsea had loft and they were I mean a rehearsal studio and they were rehearsing it and one of the guys uh, girlfriend's cat had kittens and the mother her mother didn't want her keeping the kittens at home so she brought them to the rehearsal studio and left them there and Peter you know being you know a, he was a, a huge animal lover and uh, especially cats because he always felt cats had nine lives he loved the fact that they were independent and so that's why he he brought the cat home he gave the cat to me as a, an our first anniversary gift, I woke up and there was a cat um, in my kitchen. And I, and it was like a little, it was so small, it was I, it fit in the palm of my hand. And um, so I, uh, you know, he says, see if you, if you, if you fall in love with it and then, you know, we'll keep it, see if you like it and we'll keep it. And I, of course I fell in love with it right away. And, uh, he got to see the cat more often because I was still working mm-hmm. and uh, I was still working. So I didn't see the cat during the day, but he was home all the time with the cat. So that's when he said he, he really started, you know, when they asked him to come up with a character for his makeup, that's when he got the cat. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. That's perfect. Finding inspiration through you, finding inspiration through your kitty cat. You mentioned earlier that um, the song Beth and him writing Beth. That's my favorite Kiss song. So to be speaking to the muse behind Beth, it's pretty amazing. Uh, what does that song mean to you? How did that come about? Like when you first heard it, what was that like? Well, my like I said, my best girlfriend and I and her husband were in Chinatown waiting for Peter 
you know, we went to dinner and we're sitting at the table and this is before cell phones. So we couldn't call him to ask him, where are you? He was late. And finally he gets there and he's so excited. He goes, Oh my God, we wrote this great song. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. And, you know, he had this little tape deck, you know, so sort of thing. Uh, and he, or maybe he just had the tape. I'm not sure how they recorded it back then. It had to be tape. And um, so anyway, he plays the song and he says, you know, it's, it was a song that was like, it was called Beck, B-E-C-K, because the, the, the girl that it was originally, it wasn't originally written for me, but it was, it was eventually changed and written for me. But originally it was written for Beck. And it wasn't a nice song. It was like, Beck, I hear you calling, but I ain't coming home right now. You know, this was the, the lead, the, the, the guitar, no, the rhythm guitar player's wife. She was, they were just newly married and she would constantly call their rehearsals like, Mike, when are you coming home? Mike, when are you coming home? So she was a little annoying. She was a sweetheart. We were, we were good friends, but she was a little annoying. Um, I never called, you know, asking when he was coming home because I was busy working myself. And um, so they wrote that song. And then when they, when then it was, nothing was ever done with it. It was put aside. And then, and then when Kiss, you know, when Peter was in Kiss, he says, I want a song on, you know, one of the albums. And he, and he, they said, okay, you know, come up with one. And he, he gave them that, you know, he produced, I mean, he presented them with that song. And they said, we're not, we don't do ballads. We ain't going to do this song. <laughs> and uh, then it was, you know, Bill Coyne heard it and Bill Coyne talked them, talked Gene and Paul into recording it. And uh, they gave it to Bob Ezrin. All right, first they said they couldn't use the, you know, Beck. So, because of Jeff Beck. So mm -hmm. I said, well, how about, you know, Bill, uh, what's his name? Neil Bogart's wife's name was Beth. So I said, how about Beth? And they said, that's great. Gene will always take credit for it, but I came up with it. <laughs> um, Heard it here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so anyway, then Bob Ezrin got hold of it and he made it into a beautiful ballad with you know strings and an orchestra and he made it a nice song and um they at the time they were recording i used to go up to the studio a lot especially when i worked in manhattan i would just go straight from work right to the studio and um and then uh, th this particular time I had stopped working and I was living in Manhattan. I had just moved to Manhattan and they said, whatever you do, don't come to the studio right, you know, right now we're doing this song and we want, we, we don't want you here. I said, okay, I was busy decorating. So it didn't bother me. And um, finally they said, we want you to come up now. So I come up to the studio. They sit me on a stool, put headphones on me and play the finished product. And I just started crying and I, you know, they said, how do you, you know, what do you think? And I said, it's absolutely beautiful, but too bad it wasn't called Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> they were talked into doing it because that, that is just such a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah, I agree. I agree. From the beginning, you saw this band go from an idea to one of the 
biggest things a band can possibly be. And you always kind of thought, well, this can't really last forever. You always maybe had a suspicion that uh, there was kind of a time frame on that. Can anything really prepare you for this kind of experience or this kind of fame? Um, probably not. Uh, How did you get through it? The emotional highs and lows and the ups and downs? Well, actually, it was all, an, I mean, there were a lot of highs and lows. I mean, it was definitely a roller coaster. But at one point, it was kind of all the way on the way up. It was little steps, little steps all the way up. And, you know, at, at times it would drop a little, but then it would go back up to li little steps all the way up again. And, you know, I mean, no one ever expects they want it, but they never expect the fame and fortune. And um, I think for for the amount of time that they were on the road, um, you know, everyone says it happened so quickly, but it didn't happen so quickly to us. You know, it was yeah. like he was Peter was, you know, away a lot. He was not home. Uh, you know, he'd be gone sometimes for, for three weeks. Um, we always made it where if he was gone for more than two weeks, I would join him. Um, and that's, you know, that would, I mean, I would talk to him all the time, but I mean, it, but th in those days we really didn't have a lot of money. So I couldn't be flying all over the place and not even, even the, even the fact that, you know, he was touring, I could, we couldn't afford the long distance phone calls in those days. It wasn't like it is today, you know? So Basically, um, you know, I uh, it, it happened little by little, and then you know, then the, at one point they were going to be they were going to be thrown off the record label if they didn't have a successful album. Their first three albums didn't really do a, very well, so finally they decided to do an alive album, which at one point I didn't even know this. I mean, Peter asked me one at one time, he asked me to come on the road with him. And I said, I can't, I have to work. And, you know, they won't let me come the day after Thanksgiving. I said, no, they won't let me take off. So he, he says, I really need you to come. I really need you to come. So I did, I went and I called in sick and uh, I said, I'll see you on Monday. And they fired me, but they didn't fire me for a year. They fired me a year later and, Believe it or not, the day they fired me was the day Alive went gold. So wow. actually, it was just like perfect timing. And it was the day after my birthday in 1975. And I'll never forget, you know, I mean, I was heartbroken that I wasn't working because I had worked for 12 years. And, um, and then all of a sudden I didn't have a job and Peter wasn't home. So it was like, I was lonely, but then I got a phone call from Paul Stanley's girlfriend the next day. And she says, don't tell Peter, I told you, let him tell you himself, but alive went gold. And I just said, that is unbelievable. So that's when everything started going up all the way. Yeah. I mean, everything, I mean, sky was the limit. I mean, I started, you know, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. I was in this apartment for five years and um, it was a far, far drive from Manhattan to this to, to Canarsie where we lived. And um, Bill Coyne said, it's time to look for a new apartment. So we were going to look in, in the same neighborhood, you know, maybe I, I think there was an apartment available in my building um, on the top floor. So we said, well, it'll be bigger. It'll be, you know, better view, whatever. And it turns out he said, no, 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 I want you to look in Manhattan. So I just started looking in Manhattan and I was actually looking for apartments with Sean Delaney and we were in limos, taking limos, looking for apartments. So, um, you know, I finally found one and that's when we moved to the city and everything, you know, from there was all uphill because from the city we moved to Greenwich, Connecticut and we had this big giant mansion and uh, it was just, you know, um, uh, it was mind-blowing even though you're going through it it's still mind-blowing i mean it was mind-blowing to my family and my friends yeah but it was also uh you know i mean i was i was in my apartment in manhattan and 
and uh, I, you know, my girlfriend said, you didn't, you didn't uh, finish the bathroom. I said, well, I found this shower curtain that I saw that I liked, but it was too expensive. And she goes, what's expensive for you? <laughs> she, goes, she goes, get it, just get it. And I mean, I, I eventually got it, but you know. <laughs> Wow, what an emotional roller coaster of a day. You didn't have to worry about money anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. It's amazing that you can sort of like pinpoint that moment where, you know, everything kind of changed for you guys. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, well, another thing was there was a, they were on TV. It was um, Edward E. Newman, The Land of Hype and Glory. There's a show. And we were on the road. We were all sitting in Paul's room. Come on, we got to watch the show because it was pre taped. And we got to watch the show. So we're all watching it. And Edward E. Newman says at one point, he was a, um, a newscaster at the time. And all of a sudden he says, they're all under 30 years old and they're all millionaires. And we just went berserk in the room. Nobody knew it. That they were. <laughs> so that was, that, that was their way of finding out they were millionaires. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. What, uh, how did the guys handle all that? Well, of course, Peter and Ace went nuts, you know, with, with buying alcohol and champagne and, uh, drugs and, you know, but, uh, Gene and Paul were kind of, you know, a little bit more, uh, rational with, with, with what they did. I mean, Gene was with his women. That didn't cost him anything, you know, maybe a dinner, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know, Peter and Ace just went berserk with the drugs. And uh, luckily, Ace is sober for 13 years now. I don't know what Peter does now. I think, I don't think he does the drugs. He, Of course, he doesn't do the drugs he used to. Yeah. Nobody does. <laughs> that was a, a big thing in the 70s. Yeah, it's definitely a story you hear throughout rock and roll. Everyone yeah. kind of goes through that phase, especially yeah, in that. Heard, I just heard Deborah Harry talking about it. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of unavoidable at the time, I guess. Yeah. You did get to travel around with the band and go on the tours. Did you enjoy that aspect? Oh, I loved it. I loved traveling, especially then. You know, now I, 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 I dread having to pack and unpack, you know, but years ago it was, it was, it was easy. You know, you were young, you had a lot of energy and, um, I, I love seeing new places. I mean that, I mean, you know, going to, you know, like a, a small town in Arkansas, maybe that wasn't as, as exciting as going to Europe, but, um, it was still interesting to see how other people live. Yeah. Yeah. That's another very unique experience that you guys got to have there. Yeah, I, I definitely loved, uh, I mean, I liked being on the plane because at one point, you know, I mean, at, one, at, at the beginning we used to travel uh, coach. Then eventually we were always in first class. So it was kind of, you know, really nice to, to experience that. When I got divorced, I went back to coach. <laughs> what what were the fans like? Did you notice differences in audience reaction or participation uh, while traveling? Well, yeah, I, I actually remembered. You know, you know, the fans were fans, and they were mostly guys. And then eventually, they started being more a little bit more girls in the, in the in the audience, and a little bit more with some of them were dressing like Kiss, which yeah. was very, very unusual. I mean, you know, I mean, there was nobody else that did that. I mean, maybe Alice Cooper. Um, I don't think people went dressed like David Bowie, but David Bowie was one of the influences on Kiss, and so was Alice. Um, you know, they. Uh, I saw the audiences a lot more excited. Um, there would be a lot more groupies in the hall, in the hotel lobby. They would find out how where you were staying you know because i in those small towns you know it's not hard to keep a secret <laughs> i mean it is hard to keep a secret <laughs> i like how uh in your book you mentioned that the band members used different names when checking into the hotel but gene did not because <laughs> he wanted oh, gene, no, to gene, be able to be found gene, no gene used to change his name but he didn't 
all the time. Okay. Because he wanted people to find him. Right. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah, he, uh, he, he wanted the, gr- the groupies to be there, and he wanted, you know, he wanted them to, to, to hang out with him. That's right. Um, you mentioned Paul Stanley's girlfriend, uh, an ace's wife. And can you tell us a little bit what your relationship was like to the other girlfriends and wives in the in the band? Yeah. At first, it was it was Jean's girlfriend because Paul didn't have a steady and neither did Ace. So it was Jan Walsh. And, um, you know, we we've we've actually stayed in you know in the early days we had to share a hotel room so we we'd stay in the same hotel room as uh you know me and gene gene and jan me gene jan and peter were in the same hotel room and um i got to be really good friends with jan and jan believe it or not and i have the same birthday Hmm. so we really you know bonded over that and then eventually he just started seeing the girls Jeanette, I think she came next, and well, maybe it was, I'm not sure, maybe Paul's girl, I'm not really sure, but Jeanette, I'm still friends with to this day. Um, awesome. Yeah, I don't talk to her as often, but when I do see her, and if I did want to contact her, I could contact her. Um, you know, we, we we got to be very good friends in in the, I guess it was the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, we, we were, I mean, we were very good friends also in the seventies when she moved to Connecticut, when I was living in Connecticut and then she, they moved to Connecticut and, um, you know, but there was a time I didn't see her because when I got divorced, I kind of didn't see anybody in kiss or their spouses or girlfriends. And then eventually we came around again. Uh, as far as Paul Stanley's girlfriend, she lived the closest to me. So, we were always trying, we tried to go out a lot together, but Peter really didn't want me going out with her because she was trouble. <laughs> uh, she was always doing drugs and, and uh, he didn't like the people that she hung out with, mostly men. And uh, so, you know, I was kind of uh, barred from being with her at one point even though we only lived about 10 blocks away from each other, 20 blocks, 20 blocks, about a mile away. So, Mm. but um, that was Carmen. But then Paul Paul left her. And uh, then I, I, I don't really think I became good friends with any of Paul's girlfriends after that. You know, I didn't really know them. Mm. Well, we obviously love celebrating the wives and girlfriends and muses like you from rock and roll. Um, Liz Derringer wrote an article for Circus Magazine called The Life and Times of Four Superstar Spouses, Rock Wives. Mm-hmm. What What was the message that you feel like she was trying to send? And why do you think wives and the support system has been villainized sometimes? Um and what what do you feel makes women like you such an integral part of rock and roll history? Because you really are. Um, there's there's a couple of questions in there. Let's see. Yeah. I don't really, you know, she wrote for um, one of the magazines. I can't remember which one, uh, but she um, she was also a rock wife. Mm-hmm. She was married to Rick Derringer. Yeah. And uh, eventually, uh, I had just moved. Well, that, this, that's the, the no. Before that, I don't know how she came to call me, but I guess um, at the time they were close to Aerosmith. I think they had one of those wives. I think it was uh, not Stephen Tyler's, but um, Joe, Joe Joe Perry Perry's wife. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, but I, I'm not really sure who else was in that article, but uh, it was something that happened like, you know, right before we were going to Japan, she wanted to interview. And, um, you know, I did what it, it was like one of my first times ever being interviewed. So it was kind of, um, 
I don't know, Gene, I don't think Gene was very happy with the with the whole thing. He didn't like the photo I used. He said we could have did a photo session for you. I mean, I was on I had just done the People's Choice Awards or I was about to do them. We were going to Japan and this and then this thing came up and I just sent her a photo that I had, you know, with with Peter wearing makeup. That was the important thing that she wanted. And um he didn't like he didn't like you know the photo that I sent. So I don't really remember the article. I know I do remember the article, but I don't remember what I wrote, what I said. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, other than that, you know, I mean, I wound up being friends with Liz Derringer later on in years. We both lived on the same block. And, um, you know, but uh, I still see her occasionally at different events, but um, not too often. Well, it's nice that, you know, these articles were being written. They should have been being written more often because you guys are such an important part of this system. And uh, I think it's interesting that Gene makes such a big deal out of everything. I guess if he's not in the spotlight, he gets a little cranky. (laughs) Well, you know, um, the thing is some wives were important parts and some weren't. Some were just there for the ride. That's a good point. I know. Well, yeah, when you were speaking about how you were working, you know, that job for 12 years and supporting him, you know, the three years and the three years, you know, it makes me wonder that if you hadn't been doing that and he had to keep working those kind of lower level jobs, if he would have ever been able to, you know, if those synchronicities, if he would have still met the band and he would have still been able and available to do that. Um, And I think maybe why women get villainized as wives and things is because like oh they've got secrets and they might do it tell all but it's like that's that's your story too i did i did a tell all but i took the high road yeah i mean nice. th- yeah that's, that's a your great life way to story that's yours to share however you choose uh it's not the property of the the rock star right like you were on that well, journey as well it's my memory. It's my it's my autobiography. Exactly. You know, and a lot of people think, you know, oh, she's, you know, she wrote this because she's uh, taking advantage of Peter. I, that wasn't my intention. First of all, I was never um, an English major, so I didn't know how to write. Um, that was never my. I mean, bookkeeping and and accounting was more my my thing. Numbers and addition, you know, math and. Um, so I um, I never had the intention to do this. I was I was like forced into doing it by the fans. Yeah. Um, I did a few kiss conventions, and uh, the fans saw my scrapbook. I used to bring them my scrapbook. It wasn't for sale. It was just to look at, and they used to go crazy. And they just said, "You have to do a book. You have to do a book." And I said, "I wouldn't know where to even." even start to do a book and uh, it took me about a year and a half because I was still I still had a full-time job I worked for Starfile Photo Agency um I used to do I used to have three jobs three hats there I should say one was I was a photographer there you know like they used to sell my photos the other I was their bookkeeper and the other was I became really good friends with the owner and we used to we, we, we used to go out together. We used to even travel across the, the con- across the world. You know, we went to, where did we go? Spain together. Yes, anyway. Um, so I, it took me, like I said, a year and a half. But I got it done finally, and I handed it over to the publisher. The companies literally said, unfortunately, they didn't want to publish my book because Gene had put out a lot of books at the time, which was really I think he only had maybe one or two. I'm not sure. They said Gene flooded the market with books. Maybe it was two. And uh, I said, okay, so that that means, you know, I'm, I got all my stuff back from this publisher, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I somebody told me, you could do this by yourself. And I said, you got to be out of your mind. And they said, no, it'll cost about this much. I wind up having to sell all my Kiss stuff so I could actually finance the book well we're so glad that you decided to self-publish and it's crazy because your book is very different from any other kiss book you have so much 
things in there that fans like we we die for those things you know you kept so much you're a real archivist oh yeah because P- peter used to always say you know when we're when we're old and gray and we're sitting uh you know in, in the living room rocking on the rocking chair we could you know look at all of our memories which you know which of course never happened but <laughs> but um i i basically said well what I don't need the actual thing. If it's in the book, I could see it. So I made sure everything was in the book and I could just always look at it that way. I mean, it was, it was a lot of um, boxes in the basement that were, you know, just sitting there, not, you know, no, nothing was happening. They were just sitting there. So I said, right, let me get rid of, you know, I get rid of it. So I did. And now it's in this beautiful, yeah, like Link said, um, like you're an archivist. So we've read a lot of autobiographies from um, women in music and rock wives, but I don't think any have really compared to what you have produced, this kind of like large and beautiful, bright scrapbook, but also has all of that meaty goodness of what it was like to watch this band evolve as well. So it's very different and it's very special. And I think you did a great job and thanks for doing that. Thank you. A lot of people tell me that. I actually got as a gift from my boyfriend, my current boyfriend, Richie Fontana. Um, he um, he gave me a gift of um, Bill Wyman's book. It's called Rolling with the Stones. Mm-hmm. And when I saw his, he's another one that saves everything. When I saw his book, I said, this is what I want my, my book to look like. And that's what I copied. I even went to his uh, printer oh, in cool. Italy. I even went to his printer in Italy because I liked the quality. You know, I I basically, you know, a lot of people say, ah, it's a lot like history. And it's not like history. Mm -mm. History has a lot of stuff in there that you've already seen before. You know, like every album cover, (laughs) every cover of a magazine that they've been in. Uh, And it's not, history is not, I mean, I hate to say this, I say it all the time, but it's not as accurate as my book. Um, Gene doesn't. You know, Gene's Gene's been through a lot in his life. I mean, he's had a very, very full life. And see, he doesn't know certain things. He doesn't remember certain things. But I used to write everything down. Being a bookkeeper, that's what you do. You you, you keep records. And I had a, a, a they when we went to school, there was this little thing called a composition notebook. And there's a picture of it in my book. And I used to keep records of everything in in that little book. Amazing. And that's why it made it easier. When it came time to, you know, tell people what, what jobs Peter had, you know, in other bands, it was it was easy to to print all of that. That's in my my second version of, you know, the um, the revised version of my book. That's um, it's got every job that he ever had when he played on weekends. Lydia, you had mentioned that, you know, Peter had said things like when we're old and gray in the living room. And when you think back on that, do you feel like sad that it maybe didn't work out? Or do you kind of think like, well, we were so young when we met, you know, how could a relationship possibly survive what the band went through? Plus, it sounds like he had some, you know, was dealing with um, some mental health issues that probably weren't discussed back then plus you know on top of that drinking and drugs like do you think that it ever could have really stood a chance or do you just look back at the time fondly and have acceptance for what it is how are your feelings when you do reminisce about Peter in those times of course when it first happened I was devastated and um you know I uh I didn't know what I was going to do with myself and then Eventually, you know, I mean, you you have people around you like your family and friends, and they're the ones that got me through it. I mean, talking to them and discussing everything, you know, it it, it actually, you know, they give you courage to to keep on going. Um, I mean, I, I mean, believe it or not, that's when I, I mean, I started drinking a lot when when I started getting divorced because I, I needed I needed a crutch. And uh, that was my crutch. And, um, you know, but eventually I got away from that. And I, um, you know, right now, basically, if I drink a glass of wine a week, that's a lot. But um, what I what I said to myself, you know, I'm in this big house. And I said to myself, 
what am I going to do with all this room? And, and, you know, I just said to him, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? And I just said, you know, you've survived up until now and you're going to keep surviving and you'll do anything you want to do and you'll do it good. So I talked myself into that. And that's when I took a course in photography to learn how to really take photos. You know, I had a great camera um, and a lot of equipment. And I, you know, I eventually went to the new school and Jeanette and I was supposed to go together, but she went for a couple of classes and then she, she, she backed out. I kept on going and, uh, you know, luckily for me, I wound up finding uh, somebody that was actually in my apartment for a a party. Uh, I I reconnected with uh, this girl, Virginia, and she was just starting a photo agency. So I joined her photo agency. So that kind of, you know, it was like dual, dual swords, you know, like I was... I was learning how to, how to do photography, and then I get to, you know, like, it was like a, just a great, great, great coincidence. You got to photograph not just Kiss, but many other rock and roll legends out there as well. Um, did you enjoy doing that, and do you continue to take photography? Do you still um, do it? I don't do photography anymore because um, um, it's just, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, when I had, when I was in a photo agency, they would, they would get me the photo pass to get, you know, you know to take these, these, you know, the bands I wanted to, you know, shoot. Um, I loved shooting rock bands. It's, it's a great, great, great outlet. I mean, I mean, God, it's like, um, you know, they see you in the pit, so they're, they're actually, sometimes they'll pose for you, and it just makes everything a lot, you know, a lot a lot more fun, and I used to love taking those, I used to love taking pictures, I still love taking pictures, but I like taking scenery now, you know, if I go on vacation, I love, I always, I always bring my camera, if I'm with my family, I always bring my camera just to, you know, take pictures of weddings and, you know, dinners and stuff like that. Um, but I don't, um, I don't do any rock and roll anymore. And and right nowadays, rock and roll isn't the way it used to be either. Anyway, that's for sure. Um, a couple friends of mine went on that Kiss cruise. I have yeah. a, a friend's band performed on the cruise as well. Uh, they talk about how awesome that was, and we heard that you got to um, sign autographs and, you know sell your book and meet a bunch of kiss fans on the cruise. And I was just curious, what was that like for you? And, um, should, should fans expect to see you at future kiss events? Is that something you are interested in doing? Well, the cruise was, uh, a one-time thing. I, I was on not this not, uh, 19, no, 2017. That was the cruise I was on. Um, it was a uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I, it was the first time I was ever on a cruise. Period. I am not a fan of being in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> but <laughs> but it you know it it worked out. I you know I didn't uh, um, I didn't get seasick or anything like that, which I thought I would. And, um, but I, uh, I got to meet all the friends and it's so wonderful after seeing so many people on Facebook to see them in person, to see their real faces, you know, it's just such a thrill for me. And, uh, I mean, I did sign books. I got to talk to Paul Stanley and of course, Gene, and I got to meet Shannon and, uh, I got to meet, um, Sophie, uh, the only person now that I haven't met that's a kiss, uh, spa, um, sibling, you know, like a son is, it's Jean's son, Nick. Um, but I, I got to, you know, I got to sell my book. I sold a lot of books. I sold about over a hundred books wow. on, on the cruise. You know, the, the problem is a lot of, you see to sell a book in Europe, it costs a lot of money to ship it. Yeah. So uh, I don't. I haven't been to Europe in a while, and for them, to, it, it costs more than the book. To sh- is the shipping costs more than the book? Because sometimes, God, it's qu- close to twice as much as the book. 
And um, so, you know, people don't buy the book in Europe anymore. You know, we used to have where I could ship it through, um, I could ship it on a, on a slow boat to China type of what they say, but they don't have that. Everything has to go air now. Uh, because of the size of my book, anything over four pounds has to go air and it has to go priority. So it costs a lot. So when, being on the ship, a lot of Europeans bought my book because they didn't have to pay for the postage, which made it wonderful. Well, just so any fans that are in Europe, if they're disappointed hearing that, they also can get the ebook. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's why I did that. That I did that uh, a couple of years after the book came out, and then eventually I did the revised edition. Of my book, but I have to do a revised edition of the ebook. That's another thing I should have done. But um, audiobooks are huge now too. Yeah, but your book's so visual. But it's so it's also yeah. visual. But yeah, I mean, it can go both ways because the content is absolutely there. It's like all of the photos, and that is just such a bonus. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. A lot of people want me to do the book where you know you talk the book. Yeah. So. Well, we love your voice. <laughs> That's my Brooklyn accent. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Lydia, this was so much fun. Um, this was an absolute blast chatting with you. Oh, I, 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 I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Is there anything that we didn't mention that you'd like to chat yeah. about? Yes, I'd like to tell everyone if you're interested in my book, you can get it at www.lydiachris.com. And uh, I sign it, and um, I personalize it. So it, it's a great, it's a great book. Everybody loves it. Uh, it's my little bundle of joy. You know, I mean, it's the child I never had, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I know you will. Everyone will love it. whoever buys it. Yeah, always loves it. It's a definite must-have for any Kiss fan. It's incredible. It's filled with so much uh, history. Okay. Thank you Thanks so, so much, much Lydia. Lydia. It was a real okay. pleasure. My heart is full. Yeah. Ah, thank you. stranger, I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery, following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world, in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.